What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 210 of the Justin Inside podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. As always, my name is Tim Burtbeck, and I am your host and guide through said podcast. And I've got to make apologies because I'm severely late. I missed last week, and I'm a day late this... No, missed last week, and I'm a day late this week. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, But I've just been manic busy... Last week I just didn't have a time to to edit. I planned to edit this one up for for yesterday, um, and I was just too lazy basically. But I've just been yeah. So apologies, but we're here, we're back, and I've got some killer guests lined up in the coming up coming up weeks. I cannot talk coming weeks. Um, so thank you for everyone for sticking with me in this moment of slumber. Um, but in that time, as I've just been super busy with work. Uh, I also went back to Portsmouth to visit my parents. And more recently, more excitingly, I went and saw the Gender Roles Boys, who, for regular listeners of the show, uh, a former guest on the show, well, at least uh, Bennett and Lilford are. Um, but I also had the, the opportunity to drive them around Europe in the beginning of 2020 before... The world collapsed so it was really nice to catch up with them guys see them live again and just see a packed exchange in bristol just bouncing along to them and it was really really nice um in terms of new music that we've heard one album which will be on everyone's list or should be anyway is from this week's guest uh from uh kowloon walled city uh the new dying wish record which uh again former guest of this podcast, uh, Emma Bolster, on episode 200 there, so go check that out. But yeah, Dying Wishes Records now out, New Full of Hell, um, and yeah, just other fantastic new stuff as always. Um, I'm going to stop babbling because I've clearly losing the will to live. But as just mentioned, my guest this week is guitarist and songwriter of uh, Kowloon Ward City and Lesser John Howell. Um, as I mentioned, Kowloon Ward City have just released the, the latest record, so we talk about how that was recorded in 2019 but wasn't actually finished until late 2020. Um, we talk about how John was part of a baseball-themed grindcore power violence band which led to the formation of Less Art. And we also talk about how John's always kind of liked the idea of strange and abstract kind of music when it comes to heavy music and so so much more so please sit back enjoy the chat i have with john and i'll see you on the other side so joining me this week on the justin insight podcast is guitarist of kowloon wall city and less art john howell john thank you very much for taking some time and having a chat with me um how is everything in your world obviously new album out for for Colleen, but like just in general how's everything been uh everything's everything's been interesting over here i'm i'm located <laughs> in uh california a couple counties north of san francisco and oakland and uh-huh. uh and we moved to this place pretty recently uh so it's it's lovely up here and california in terms of coming out of covid is maybe a, a few steps ahead of the rest of the country, which has been great because um, I've got family and friends elsewhere who do not have some of the luxuries that we've had here. Um, yeah, yeah. That said, it's still very strange. Um, you know, I'm going into the office for the first time in like 18 months, 
is uh, <laughs> yeah. pretty weird. And uh, there are certain folks out here, as there are everywhere, who are just kind of done taking any kind of precaution. So we're still in that kind of gray area where that you, you go out in public and there are oftentimes you feel kind of uncomfortable with what you see. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think like that's very much the similar thing here in the UK. Like there's still some people who like constantly wear masks. There's some people that will wear masks indoors, but then not elsewhere. And it's, yeah, it's just a proper sort of gray area. Everyone's got their own sort of rules and their own sort of baseline of what is appropriate or what is safe and we're not we're not all on the same page and it's it no interesting no definitely not but just in terms of kind of like musically obviously we'll get to to the new album in, in a moment but how have you kind of like managed to sort of like keep tabs on what what you guys have been doing so have you been keeping like active in terms of like still doing stuff over the pandemic or have you kind of taken that opportunity as a as a respite sort of thing? Uh, I absolutely tried to keep active, um, not with Kowloon uh, or and not with Less Art actually. I was I started a new project that was kind of my COVID project and and hoping to make a little bit more progress on that now that COVID is lifting and start figuring out if we can record. But um, ultimately, yeah, I worked on I had a a whole album written for a new project and it was important to me to stay busy because. Yeah. Being a productive musician, um, creating new things is very important to me and sort of seeing myself as a musician. It's like if you're pro have to mm. be producing in my estimation in order to really kind of call yourself a musician. So uh, even <laughs> yeah. with COVID, I was able to keep pretty busy. That's yeah. cool. Because, again, we'll kind of get into the nitty gritties of it. But like obviously recording wise, were you doing a lot of it at, at home or because I know obviously like you in obviously Kowloon and in Less Art, you've worked really closely with, with Scott and he's obviously done a lot of the recording. So did it, was he in with the new project or was that very much home-based? Uh, it's the, the demoing was home-based. New project also includes Dan Snedden, who is the, the new drummer of Kowloon Wild City so oh, for cool. like 15, 20 years. Um, and we were able to figure out ways to actually write over the course of COVID in the room, in the practice space, uh, Oh, yeah. Awesome. And again, that was also just really nice. I'm not sure if you're a musician, but like uh, playing this big, loud, heavy music and then not actually being able to stand in front of an amp or play with a drummer, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it kind of lessens the excitement. To, so to be able to do those things over COVID was really valuable and, and meaningful. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Well, as I say, I always like to take my guests back to their, their roots, so to say. So what kind of got you into alternative music in the first place? Like, what was the jumping in point? Um, I'm, I'm old enough that I'm an MTV kid from when they played videos. Um, yeah. So, I mean, even <laughs> yeah. starting back into the late 80s, like all this, I'd be a very fairly young kid, but like I'm watching and there's like the hair, sort of the late hair metal stuff. So like Def Leppard and Poison. And I'd be looking at these videos like wide eyed, like, holy, what is this? Um, yeah, but yeah. then they, you know, MTV really bit big on uh, the sort of the Nirvana, the Soundgarden stuff. And so that was kind of my first uh, entry into alternative music. Um, but then I'd say the biggest change after that was it, it didn't occur to me or I had no visibility into sort of bands who were not operating on this like big major label level until I was in hmm. college and I was lucky enough to go to a college where there were people who were booking local shows from their nearby right, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, uh, the nearest city was basically Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 
And there was someone who was a show promoter who went to my college and started promoting shows for like independent bands at my college. So all of a sudden I saw these incredible bands making this incredible music, which became very meaningful to me, but they weren't this huge thing. It was really eye-opening. And so to be able to see, um, I don't know if you're going to be familiar with some of these bands, but to see really early uh, Q and Not You, uh, which were yeah, yeah, yeah. on Discord, I got to see them as they were touring on their first record. And uh, there was a band that still exists called Unwed Sailor. They were just incredible. Uh, so that was that was the thing that really grabbed my attention at the time and kind of redirected me mm. from sort of only understanding alternative music as this big kind of lofty Nirvana Soundgarden thing is something like, oh, people, people who are kind of like me do this, you know? Yeah. And that yeah. was, and I've kind of just, I followed that path ever since. So I'm guessing like in terms of that, like, as you say, that local promoter sort of thing, but you were kind of obviously drawn to music anyway so I don't know, was it just the fact that you knew that those things were happening or did somebody say to you like, oh, you do realise like there's other stuff than like Kiss and Nirvana and Soundgarden? Um, it's funny because when I was uh, when I was young, like for some reason, um, I don't know how this happened, but there was sort of the in the pantheon of like punk rock, you know, and you have like your Ramones and your Sex Pistols and things like that that are kind of like this kind of upper tier everyone knows mm. about somehow uh black flag and fugazi like made it into that sort of here <laughs> i have nice. no idea how because i didn't know anybody who liked those bands and i really tried to think did someone ever tell me that they were cool or did yeah. i just kind of stumble <laughs> upon it i think i stumbled upon it um that said to know that there was like um bands that were smaller independent bands like no one no one told me if i if i had not gone to school it's not like i would have never found them you know, but I would not have been exposed to them in this really visceral way of like, hey, we're in we're in my college coffee shop. These bands are playing floor shows. There is no separation between us. And that was such a such a kind of a uh, really important thing for me to see and experience and feel um, without that. It, things would be totally different. Yeah. And, and just because obviously, like it was that sort of independent smaller show sort of thing obviously that kind of lends itself to sort of more punk rock heavier sort of style of music so was it just because that's what was in front of you that that's what you ended up going towards or did you kind of actively seek out like heavier sort of music i i always i since i, I was a kid i always seemed to seek out things that were like heavier or maybe just a little bit um definitely different than what my folks listened to growing up you know like when mm. I was a kid like my first cassettes were like you know like hip-hop and Def Leppard and which but hip-hop being like MC Hammer and Vanilla yeah but, yeah but it was just like I and then uh, finding Metallica when I was a kid was a really big deal for me like because the Black Album came out and so they just plastered those videos everywhere and I was able to kind of go backwards and find Master of Puppets and all of those so I I've always gravitated towards uh, aggressive music in some respect or somewhat complicated music, music that has sort of interesting musical qualities that are not just kind of pop songwriting. Um, I've always gravitated mm. towards that. Um, and then again, finding the finding those independent bands and those punk bands that playing on the floor, you know, getting in your face. Uh, that just, again, helped direct me towards a lot of what I still listen to today. Mm. 
And then in terms of you kind of actually sort of playing music, obviously we know you as the guitarist, but was that always what you were drawn to or did you kind of start with a different instrument and then fall into guitar? How did that journey start? Uh, I was, uh, music was a big part of my family growing up. Um, so I was actually in church choirs, bass church choirs oh, cool. or school choirs or college choirs all the way through to the end of college. Um, my folks were pretty adamant about that. Um, that said, at some point, I had a couple of friends who uh, started playing guitar and like when they were 13 or 14. And immediately that was the thing I wanted to do because it was the thing my friends did. Um, my folks required me to learn piano before they would let me touch a guitar because they were. <laughs> Uh, and it's funny, I had uh, one of my grandparents who's no longer around, she was so like aghast at the guitar idea that she one day she she gave me a brand new harmonica. She was like, this is what you should be doing. I was, Thanks. I wish I had that harmonica. But um, but yeah, once once I once I got my hands on a guitar and I realized I could play it, that I it, not that it was easy, but that it felt natural to me. That was just hmm. the thing I always wanted. That's cool. So in terms of like the, the choir side of things, obviously, I don't know, I don't want to say like you were sort of pushed into it, but obviously you saw it through for quite a, a period of time. So was that something you enjoyed or was it just you knew you had to do it because it was something your parents wanted you to do? Uh, the latter. It, it, it was not something I particularly <laughs> enjoyed. I will say this, though. Um, there, I, I don't know if you've ever sang in choirs, but um, I can't say yeah, I no. there is there is something to um, the performance of it of having like 10 20 50 people all kind of like singing at the same time and creating this thing this interlocking thing with different parts and different people that has always stuck with me and that was mm. a that was a pretty meaningful experience so even though I wasn't particularly thrilled to be in choirs uh, uh, especially when I got to college and was doing fairly technical choir music, um, it was important. And I kind of took something from it that I've been able to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And because you said like you started off in church choir, so was it, did you have quite like a religious upbringing or was it just more the choir aspect that your family wanted you to be part of? Uh, I went to church every Sunday, uh, until I had a say in the matter. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. it was, uh, I am, I am not a, a believer and I've never really been one. So church actually, uh, when I was a little kid and then up through my teens, it was actually, it was a social thing. There was a group of people there who, um, were my age from different schools in the area and we all just kind of got along. And so we would kind of skip out after the first 30 minutes of service and go screw around in one of the libraries or something. There was also a guitar choir that was present. So a lot of my early guitar playing was just playing along to like hymns. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, religion was fairly important in my family, but it wasn't kind of pushed on us in a way that was uh, particularly problematic or I feel, I, I don't feel strange about it at all. It was just like, okay, I got exposure to it. And then I got to make up my own mind. That's yeah. cool. So it wasn't a case of when you were sort of discovering like the likes of Nirvana and stuff, your parents weren't horrified. Sort of no, uh, though. <laughs> uh, one time uh, there was the early Stone Temple Pilots album was I forget what it was called, but there was a song on that album that was like a, just a throwaway song. I think it was called Wet My Bed. And I remember standing <laughs> in like 
uh, it was we used to have Kmart's. I don't even know if they exist anymore, but they were like Walmart's. Yeah. And uh, my mom who was buying me the CD. She looked at it and she just read all the song titles in front of the teller. <laughs> she gets in my nice. bed and she just looks at me. I'm like, what are you? What, I, please, <laughs> please buy it. Um, so, uh, but no, no one was aghast. No one was horrified. Um, I, I think they were all a little bit like, we don't get this music, but you do. So that's, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I think like, I think some people, it's weird. Like some people's parents, they, they either go one of two ways. Like they're either like, what the hell is this? Like turn it off now sort of thing. Or it is, as you say, that latter of, I don't understand it, but you seem to be enjoying it. So good for you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, the the compromise was always like okay you listen to it don't make us listen to it you know? yeah um, yeah and I, I don't know a lot of people in my life are still like that I mean like my wife doesn't particularly listen to heavy music you know and it's it's my thing and she's cool with that and I'm cool with her music I mean it's all good um but yeah the, the sort of the idea that you don't subject people to something that you understand they're not going to, they're not going to get, they're not going to be able to process. They're not going to be able to enjoy and to just be nice about it. Listen to it yourself, like blast out your own ears, but nobody else's. <laughs> yeah. Though I would say there was a time when we used to do family holidays and myself and my brother, I think I'm trying to think of what tape it was now. It was either white zombie ah. Or or like an early Pantera tape, and we made our dad put it in on the car, and our parents were just like, <laughs> "What is this?" It was me and my brother just rocking out yeah, in the back of the car. Why weren't they slamming along with you? Come on! I know, <laughs> I know, but hey hey. So then, in terms of because you said you grew up near Pittsburgh, is that correct? I, I grew up actually near Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio, okay. which is not that far. It's only like two three hours away. And then I went to school that was a uh, college, a little closer to Pittsburgh. Yeah. Okay, so obviously, because now you say like you're in California, and obviously, Colleen's obviously Oakland's well, kind of Oakland loosely yes. based. So, talk me through the journey of getting from there to sort of the California side of things. Uh, so I was in college, and I was finishing up college, and um, just trying, just kind of looking at, all right, what am I going to do? I didn't have a career that sort of obviously made sense for me to pursue, and so my partner at the time. Um, she had a uh, she had family in San Francisco, and we were just like, let's go somewhere completely different. Let's try something completely different. And so we, uh, the summer after we both graduated, uh, she had moved out, and then I I came out after. And it was just about finding a different place. You know, uh, I I love Cleveland, uh, Ohio. I love Northeast Ohio. I actually love Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh is just an incredible town as well. Um, but in that moment, you know, being 23, 24, I just didn't, I couldn't figure out something there that was particularly compelling or appealing. So I just were completely different. And so and mm. we went to San Francisco and um, pretty early, uh, we have uh, Craigslist out here. Do you have that yeah, as yeah. well? Um, and in the Bay Area, I, I think to this day, there's a, a musician's wanted section on Craigslist and it's a great way to find people. So within a couple of months of moving out here, I actually, uh, through a Craigslist ad, found a met and met Dan Snedden, who is now the Kowloon drummer. 
and oh, yeah, wow. it, was, it was it was nuts. And we he and I uh, started a band that we were did for a couple of years and in San Francisco, and um, and that was just kind of my trajectory. That then that band ended. I started another band uh, called Tygon, and it was through Tygon uh, I recorded with Scott. And I, uh, I met Scott right, okay. because the first uh, Kowloon EP had come out, and I had gone to see them just on a whim and was just a fan. You know, they were incredible. Like that early version of the band before I was in it was nuts. And, yeah, um, and yeah. So Scott recorded uh, a couple of Tygon releases, and when uh, the original uh, Kowloon guitar player Jason Pace uh, decided he was going to move on, they thought of me, and. A lot of other things happen in the in the interim, but that's kind of the the, the top line. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. So then, before we kind of get onto there, then, so you said obviously your kind of discovery of like the kind of smaller like independent bands was kind of when you were in college and things like that. So were you were you actively playing in bands yourself at that time, or was it not until you kind of moved over to to um, San Francisco that that kind of started? Uh, I, those, those early experiences, seeing bands in the coffee shops, um, punk bands and, and, and all that, uh, I, at the early point, I was not writing music. I was just playing guitar and still like playing covers. And I had actually started to mm. pursue a classical guitar degree, uh, at my, oh, cool. which, uh, was interesting and, you know, something that was a big part of my playing. Um, but I started seeing these bands and then a buddy of mine, uh, at college, we were, we were both building sets for plays at the college. Like the college would have right. building the sets. That was our job. And we were just sitting around one day and started playing music and between, you know, actually doing work. And uh, from that realized, oh, wait, I can write music. And he realized, oh, can write music. <laughs> yeah. oh, cool. So we started a college band, a, a band in college that we did for um, two, three years. And that, so that was the sort of original kind of inception of being in bands and then um, yeah you know and then that ended and moved out to San Francisco and I've never stopped yeah, yeah. so with, with that first band was it just kind of was it just purely a college based band or did you kind of go further afield and do much or was it just very much stuck in there uh we we played that same coffee shop a lot uh, <laughs> um, and I think uh as far afield as we ever got was uh, we may have played Buffalo, New York. I think we played Cleveland once or twice. Um, maybe only a handful of shows that were outside of that, uh, on a, outside of the college, really. Um, yeah. But got a taste for it, you know, just the, you know, the early like, oh, wow, I'm going to drive three hours and I'm going to play to some people. And I yeah, like yeah. this. Is this fun for me? And it was. So what kind of style was it, was that? Was it sort of, was it along the kind of punk sort of side? Where where did you start off? Uh, pop punk. It was pop punk. That, and I think a lot of that's a lot of people's like gateway. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, just because I don't know if you uh, you start with the thing that's kind of I don't want to talk down pop punk too much, but you start with the thing that's a little easiest. So you try to write songs, and you're playing chords yeah. that are like kind of nice chords, you know, not particularly complicated. Um, the other guys in my band were also. Uh, definitely more into pop punk. Uh, my buddy Derek 
who was the guy we started the band together, he was a big dashboard confessional guy. And so, right. you know, and that really did inform a lot of what we did in that early period. Um, and right near the end of that band though, we, we started, we started to shift. We started to write like more aggressive music. It wasn't, we didn't turn into a hardcore band or a metal band or anything, but um, my friend got really into the band Thursday and all of the kind of accumulating bands that I had seen, Q Not You and um, uh, Unwed Sailor and the Casket Lottery started to really inform what I was doing. And so by the end of that band, we'd actually started shifting towards something that was weirder and heavier and um, I wish, I wish I still had some of those demos that we had. I'd love to hear them. Um, yeah. yeah. That's cool. So then, as you say, like shifted over to, to San Francisco, met Dan and sort of started the journey kind of on that side of things. So what would you say was kind of like the first, like your first quote unquote, like proper band that you were like actively like recording touring and and stuff like that in uh that would be the band i was in after bands uh after the after the one with dan that early one with dan the one with dan we we played shows um and we may have actually toured a little bit but we didn't really uh properly record nothing hmm. nothing uh no actual release you know nothing like yeah. sold as far as i can remember um so the band after that was a band called tygon i started with a bunch of guys who i also met through craigslist um, and that band, uh, we recorded our early EP, just a little like seven, five, seven song EP. Um, and pretty quickly we did our first, uh, well, within a year or so we did our first tours, which were pretty brutal. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> and, and then that band progressed and, uh, I'm not sure that, not sure if we ever got to be sort of something that people were into but we were weird and we did it on purpose you know uh we were good we were just very weird um, and yeah. it, it felt like by the by the time that band ended it felt like a little bit of a triumph to just sort of double down on this particular like uh direction that and and knowing it doesn't matter if everybody gets it or not um but yeah, yeah. that was that was the first band that we recorded uh, a couple of eps essentially two albums and then uh near the middle to the end of that band is when i joined kelly cool. so you said that like the first tour you did was pretty brutal so was that in terms of of attendance just the experience what why was it so brutal? um uh tygon was a five-piece band um two guitars bass drummer singer and our i want to say this was our first tour we um we were touring in a, essentially a five-seater Subaru Forester. So, so three <laughs> right. people in the front, three people in the back, but actually what ended up, and then to towing a trailer. Although what ended up happening is that someone would, uh, because of the three people in the back shoulder to shoulder, which is like, nobody wants to do that when you're driving from like LA to Tucson or something. So someone yeah, would yeah. always jump into the, it's, a, it's like a hatchback. So someone would always just jump into the trunk and yeah. if you're in the trunk of a Subaru, you just have the sun just beating down on you as you're laying there. Like it was, <laughs> it was brutal. And we were doing drives along the Southwest. Um, I don't, I don't remember if we made it to Texas or not. Uh, but it was just, it was a slog. It was hot. Um, I think we had our first EP out that we self-released. No, so you know, relatively speaking, people did not attend these shows. 
Yeah. So it was, it was brutal in the sense of like a lot of work just to play in front of like five people or zero people, which happened, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. But there was enough cool things happened on that tour that we were like, okay, we're doing this again. We'll do it a little smarter. Mm. Yeah. I was going to say, so something must've happened that kind of, you got the bug and you sort of like wanted to, to carry on sort of thing. Definitely. I, it's, it's the kind of thing where like you play 10 shows and if you have one show where it just feels amazing, that one show becomes the reason to keep doing it. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. So then in terms of you, like you said, you then kind of joined Kowloon and obviously we'll, we'll discuss kind of like the nature of, of that sort of beast of a band sort of thing but like as you said like you were just kind of a, a fan initially before you sort of joined but in terms of like musically difference like between that and Taiwan because obviously like fans of Kowloon know what to expect of, of when they hear a Kowloon record of like this sort of big sort of atmospheric vast sound this heavy and things like that so were you kind of playing a similar style to that or was it quite a new thing for you going into Kowloon? Uh, while there may have been overlap in what I was doing in Taigon and Kowloon, it was very different. It was very strange. Hmm. Um, it was more of a post-hardcore band. So there was actually incredibly fast, even grind levels of speed going on in some instances. And it was kind of, um, it was purposely kind of obscure in a lot of ways. I mean, like we were doing strange yeah. things. Uh, the vocalist uh, of Tygon Clint, who's incredible, um, you know, he has something that's a little bit more akin to, uh, are you familiar with Oxbow, the band Oxbow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was doing something that was a little more akin to kind of what Eugene from Oxbow does over right, top okay. of this kind of like frantic uh, um, post-hardcore that could be super fast or really pretty. We were kind of all over the place, whereas Kowloon, mm. um, particularly prior to my joining, they did one thing you know, and it ruled, but they were doing kind of yeah. like straightforward, just like killer, really well-arranged songs, um, but discernibly songs like verse, there's a verse and there's a chorus and there's an outro, you know, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't hard to wrap your head around as long as you were into the aesthetics. It's if you like loud music and like people yelling at you, you know, grown men yelling at you is like exciting. You'd be so <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it was you. You wouldn't have to reach much further than that. Um, so it was very mm. different. And and when Scott kind of reached out to me, uh, asking if I'd join, I knew that it was like, okay, you're going to go from something that at the time, Tygon, I considered to be a very broad spectrum of band of what you could do, to something that was much narrower. But he and I discussed it, and he was he was asking me to join because he kind of, he wanted someone who was going to like be strange and push them a little bit. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So it was, I understood that I was going to have to rain. Well, <laughs> I didn't, maybe didn't fully appreciate how much I'd have to at least initially rein in my kind of things <laughs> yeah. I want. Um, but uh, that said, it was, it was something that we eventually kind of grew into and, and it's, you know, it's worked out. I love being in this band. That's cool. So did you kind of find it, was it a challenge like to kind of, as you say, like rein it back a little bit at first, or I don't know, did you enjoy that kind of adding a different string to your bow, so to say? Um, Yes, it was a challenge. And I, 
I did not enjoy it a ton initially. <laughs> um, because the, the thing is, one of, one of the things that I've really grown to appreciate about like writing in Kowloon, and it's now something that I've kind of integrated in the way that I pr- create music is prior to Kowloon, there is very little editing, you know, it's just like, mm. this idea is cool and it's complicated. And I like, in terms of how the entire song feels, it's just, it's all my intent. If it's complicated, if you don't get it, that's your problem. Right. With Kowloon, they were trying to write songs, you know? Yeah. And so that meant that uh, in that band, I'm bringing stuff in and I'm bringing this in and what do you think? And like 98, 98% of it gets tossed, you know? But that they would be that brutal with themselves as well, you know? Yeah. So it wasn't just sort of, I mean, I'm new guy, I'm coming in, I'm like, uh, kind of an idea fire hose to some extent. I'm just, I'm really just like, throwing <laughs> yeah. this, like, this is cool. This is cool. And they're like, yeah, but not for this. Or yeah, let's take the thing that you wrote and let's kind of straighten it out a little bit. Let's like slow it down. Let's find the things within the complicated thing that you wrote that are um, hooky or interesting. And let's, let's mm. focus on that. And so it, yeah, I wasn't prepared for that, and it took a little uh, took a little time for me to get comfortable with it and okay with it. Um, but then, particularly once Container Ships came out, um, and I got to see like kind of a finished product of that collaboration, um, it, it it made sense to me. Things got a lot easier mm. once I could kind of see like this is how it's going to work. Yeah. yeah, and because of that, like. I don't want to say sort of criticism, but as you like the editing, I guess is probably, as you said, like a better sort of way, but do you feel that that's made you a stronger songwriter? Because as you say, if you like, I'm not saying this was necessarily the case with Tygon, but like if you've got all these ideas and you're just like throwing them at the wall and see what sticks, whereas with Kowloon, it's more meticulous. Has that kind of made you like better prepared for stuff you were to do later on down the line? A hundred percent that I, I still have a particular desire to make complicated music, whether it's hmm. sort of layering of different parts or sort of weird time signatures or whatever. Like I like complicated music um, and I'm never going to not like it and I'm never going to not try to make it. But now I have an appreciation for um, trying to make it, trying to make a song. You know, it doesn't have to be verse, course, verse, but it has to kind of come together as a whole. It can't just be like throwing stuff at a wall. Like it has, there has to be an intent to create like a standalone song. And I try to do that now. And even though my aesthetics still can kind of point towards more complicated music and that doesn't work for everybody, I'm still, you know, reining it in, in a way that prior to the, prior to joining Kowloon, I didn't do it all. Yeah, that's cool. And then in terms of, like so i found kowloon off like container ships was i think maybe i'm making an assumption here but was a lot of people's kind of awareness of kowloon and i think a lot of people's jumping in point but i don't know because as you say you were already a fan of the band before you joined but did you kind of notice like once you joined that that there was a point where there were more sort of eyes on you as a band and more people were paying attention to what you were doing um yeah i think i think with the uh, i agree with you that uh container ships was when i think the the band gained kind of a broader visibility outside of a narrower scene or maybe the bay area itself 
Um, mm. And that, uh, I, can't, I can't pinpoint a moment when that became apparent, but it was apparent, you know, that that was the case. Um, and, uh, and that was, that was very strange to experience. That uh, and it was strange for them too. I mean, like they had done a little bit more touring prior to my joining. They had a level of visibility already, uh, just because that first album and that first EP are, they're great, you know? Um, mm. but they, they felt it too. Like the, the yeah. yeah. And cause obviously like, obviously, as a collective, it's been a band for what fifteen years now. Something. So, I think like, but obviously in that time, as you say, this is record. Is it four full length now? This is the fourth full length. Yes. Yeah, but obviously like other sort of bits in between yeah. there, and but it's like, it's strange, and this might just be my perception. Like, even though you've. Like there's always been a constant sort of output. You're a band that hasn't like always been like super active, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So has that been like a conscious choice or is that just a matter of circumstance or is that just the way that you guys work? Uh, I, I guess the way I'd respond is that with the exception of COVID, we have always been an active band. But yeah. the thing, the way that we feel about it is that... Um, we are, a, we're an active band. We've always been practicing. We've always been working and writing, but we are very selective about sort of the output that we will pursue. Like, okay, yeah. That's like, so the albums themselves are very considered. And uh, in particular, our, our touring schedule and our show playing schedule, it's very, very considered. Um, while we all love playing shows and get that kind of visceral reaction of being on stage and playing. Uh, mm. You know, we've been a band for as long as we've been. And so there's only there's only so many times you can, you know, play the same venues in San Francisco and open. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't feel a little tired. So what we've tried to do is just be much more selective about when we play, who we play with. And as a result, I know it, it, it feels like we, uh, you know, that maybe we set, thing, set this band down a bit more regularly. We don't, with the exception of... Mm. Um, but we're just very choosy. Mm. So in that case, is it like a lot more of of stuff is going on behind the scenes? So like you're demoing things, you're writing new stuff, or like, as you say, like you're planning on, okay, we want to tour here, so how can we make that work? Is it a lot more going on behind the scenes than what we see? Publicly? Well, the, the, the band text thread is just constant talking shit. So, <laughs> you know? Um, so we're always in touch actually is the thing. Like, it's never like we, we never really walk away from each other. Um, that's yeah. why it feels like we never put it down because we're always, we're friends, you know, we care about each other. And so we're in, in each other's lives and we're always kind of in communication. Um, the work itself, oftentimes there's something, right? Like you mentioned, hmm. are we writing? Are we practicing? Are we considering a tour? Um, and that will drive, you know, the practice schedule a little bit more, but, um, since we're always in communication, it just never feels like something that you, that you, that we walk away from in any way. Hmm. And you mentioned obviously like the live experience, as you say, like you all like enjoy playing live and having that visceral experience. And because of like the style of music you play, like obviously on record is one thing to have it sound loud and heavy 
and make those kind of soundscapes work and the the parts where it's drawn out feel like for a listener for it to pay off but for, also for you as musicians to pay off but then to transfer that into a live setting is obviously something very different and I know I'm kind of going a long way around to getting to my point here but so I saw you guys play uh, Fluff Fest in oh, yeah. the Czech Republic in 2019 and, and like the one thing that I came away from from that set was like yeah there's like melody and harmony in this but behind like this the softer side there is just this wall of noise that's coming out so is that something that you guys like think about when you're writing of how this is going to transfer live of like okay on record it might sound softer but when we play it live it's just going to be like 10 times louder sort of thing uh no we we (laughs) the the loudness of the live experience and the thing that we're trying to do there is we've we we are we it's very separate from the songs as we are writing them as we are okay yeah uh, particularly on piecework the new album um we were really trying to write songs that were appealing to us kind of melodically um the the early goal of this album or the the thing that we were trying to do to make it sound different from previous albums is we had initially planned on writing the entire thing with just clean guitars oh wow okay. we completely failed right but the thing was we wrote the songs that way uh scott and i would sit in a room we'd write the songs um we'd bring them to the other two guys in the practice space and then we'd sort of flesh out the remainder of the songs there and so we'd written these big, clean songs, these beautiful songs that we were really kind of excited about. But you take them into the room and then you step on a gain pedal. And then you're like, mm. okay, this is actually still pretty cool. And this is better, you know? And so as a result, we ended up in with Piecework. Uh, we did not succeed in writing the big, clean album. And it turned into a heavier album than we were expecting. But that said, it wasn't it wasn't to kind of accentuate the live experience. Uh, yeah, that is not actually a consideration for us. OK, that's yeah. cool. And then in terms of like, as you say, like, obviously now we're we're sort of forward in the band. You've been in the band sort of for numerous years now as well. But like kind of pulling it back a bit from when you first joined. Obviously, like. I don't want to say it's necessarily Scott's baby, but obviously he's sort of the, I'm guessing at the point of you joining was the predominant songwriter. So you going into that dynamic, did you always kind of want to be like, I don't know, did did he kind of open up like the idea to you being like co-songwriters or was that something that kind of just happened naturally was it you just kind of putting in ideas and it just kind of weaved that way or did it, I don't know, was it like a conversation of like him turning to you being like, do you want to have a go writing a song? Um, I think that it's, um, you, you had just said that like, was it a matter of like me contributing, uh, him sort Mm. of weaving things in, uh, that was, that was actually, I, I would say how it worked where, um, I would bring in parts and I would bring in more parts and I would bring in more parts. And ultimately, um, one of Scott's key roles in the band um, to this day is um, the the sort of arrangements, you know? Um, Right. So 
he was sort of taking things. He was obviously still writing. He was still contributing um, a ton and still does. Um, but he would hear things that I was bringing in and he'd be like, oh, okay, well, let's try it like this, you know, or let's try it like that. Let's put it here and let's remove a couple of notes, you know? And um, that was kind of the initial way that I was weaved into the band was through mm. just kind of just throwing so much music at them. That they had to use some <laughs> yeah. of it, you know? Uh, and, but ever since then, um, that was, that was ultimately how container ships came about. And then, um, particularly on the, the sort of middle writing of the next album grievances, um, he and I just figured out how to write together, like write right, okay. together. Um, you know, he might be contributing more in some instances. I might be contributing more in some instances, just in terms of content or arrangement or structure. Um, but now it feels like, to be clear, Scott is still, uh, he still has a great head for arrangement. Um, he is, he, to, to some extent, uh, a very large extent, really kind of defines the aesthetics of what we are producing, you know, coming mm. up with. But the actual writing of the music is, uh, between him and I, is, is very collaborative and um, pretty, pretty even in terms of contribution now. That's cool. Um, and I want to kind of delve into Peaceworks a little bit more in a moment, but I want to sort of sideswipe to your other project that is kind of sort of people would know of as less art of C kind of in so, some aspects people may see it as a super group because of where the members have kind of come from. But I'm guessing it's a case of like you were all friends and you just kind of wanted to do something a bit different. Is that how that band kind of came about? Uh, that band came about because um, that band is is the child of a joke band. I'm not sure. Because <laughs> okay. prior to that band, prior to Less Art, um, uh, Riley Breckenridge and Ian Miller, Riley is the drummer in Thrice, Ian is the bass player in Calumwald City. Um, they're close friends and they were doing a baseball podcast and um, which I think, I don't know, I think they still try to do from time to time. And um, <laughs> short version of the story, there was a baseball player who uh, kind of came on the scene a bunch of years ago. His name was Yasil Puig. And he was just a phenomenon. He was just someone that right. like, I, I'm not a huge sports person just in general, but he's, pick your sport, any sport. He was one of those people that you could just watch play and it was like, it was beautiful, you know? Just mm. what he was capable of doing, both fielding and hitting, it was, it was really incredible. So. Riley and Ian, they have this podcast and they're talking about like Yasiel Puig. They are just very taken with him. Um, and someone comes up with a joke like, hey, you know what we should do? We should do a grind band and we should call it Puig Destroyer, you know, playing off a of pig destroyer, right? <laughs> I know that yeah, band. Yeah. I just realized I know that band. Yeah, and yeah. So they, it was funny. It was a funny joke. Uh, but they finished their podcast and they were like, wait let's actually do this. And so they, they, Ian got in touch with me and they got in touch with Mike Minnick, who uh, is the, the, uh, the singer of Curl Up and Die. And uh, basically what Riley did is he programmed a bunch of drums. He sent them to Ian and I, Ian and I just wrote music for it. And I don't remember what the turnaround time, it was maybe a couple of days, but we were able to come up with a song and send it to Mike. Mike did vocals and it ruled. And we were we just had so much fun with it that we actually, we then expanded that to a full EP 
we did another EP and then we did a full length of this band Puig Destroyer. Yeah, yeah. All all grindcore songs about baseball. And see, I knew I knew the band, but I didn't realize it was about baseball. All about baseball. Oh my god. Um, and it was great too. That was how I met. I, I didn't know Riley um, prior to this. I didn't know Mike at all. And so this is how I met those guys. And um, and so it was just, it was a lot of fun. It was a real laugh, you know? We recorded all this stuff with Scott from Kowloon. Um, but we, so we record the full length. Puig Destroyer records the full length. And in particular, we're all kind of like, a bunch of us were very taken with Mike. Uh, Mike had not actually mm. done vocals in a band since uh, Curl Up and Die had kind of called it a day a few years earlier. He hadn't done yeah. much in a while. And it was so, he was so good. And it's so much fun just like listening to him. He's, he's really, really good. And um, we were like, you know what? What if we did an actual band? What would that look like? What would that mean? And so we, we kind of dwelled on it a bit. And then we were like, okay, let's try it. And so we wrote a bunch of music and we pulled in Ed, Ed Breckenridge uh, from Thrice. And we just liked what we were coming up with. Uh, we thought it was pretty cool. Mm. And so that was ultimately how we came up with Less Art. Uh, we uh, recorded an album with Scott um, and I'm very fond of that album. And uh, we did a couple of, uh, we did one East Coast tour and played a couple other shows. And uh, we have a lot of music written that we could ostensibly turn into another album at some point. But uh, I'd mentioned this earlier, but, uh, that band, Less Art, which I love, is kind of everybody's second band. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, when you're not doing your first band, that's t that tends to be when you could spend time with your family. You know, that tends to be when you do things <laughs> yeah. in your life that you do. And so it's, it's, uh, it can be difficult to free up time to do less art. But when we do get together and we are able to practice and write, it's, it's a really fun, um, kind of worthwhile project. Yeah. And I'm guessing like when you've got a band that's got members of Thrice in it, they're very busy a lot of the time. Yeah, they're very busy. They're on tour right now, um, having an interesting post-COVID touring experience as I'm, as I'm hearing about it. And, uh, and yeah, like they, they're a, they're a big band and they operate on a particular cycle of touring and writing a new record and recording a new record. And then, and then again, and again, and again, and it's a cycle. Yeah. And so you have to, and Kowloon, we're much, we have a much slower cycle, but it's there. Um, and Mike actually has, uh, essentially reformed curl up and die. And so everybody's doing these other bands and it's trying to find those moments where everybody's got a little bit of free time, doesn't mind stepping away from their families and working on this project. And it, it, it's yeah. been difficult. And then you throw COVID on top of all of it. I mean, I haven't, I have not been in the room with all of those guys in a long time. Uh, mm. So hopefully, you know, again, COVID's lifting. Hopefully we can do this again. Yeah. And just to sort of throw in my two cents, how I kind of came across Peak Destroyer is so my brother is like, a massive curl up and die yeah. fan like he like they're one of his favorite bands so obviously when he heard that mike was doing new bands like i got I, I don't know who it was it was like one of these like metal blogs or something must have picked it up and we were just like this is amazing yeah. but as i said like i hadn't i had no idea that all the references were baseball so. all baseball and uh if it's not your sport it's still very funny uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, and it's a lot of there's a 
there's a term called inside baseball. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. it's a lot of like stuff that like if you they're jokes that you don't get unless you're a baseball fan. But if you if you're a baseball fan, it's it's hilarious. Uh, like talking shit <laughs> about umpires and and you know you should not bunt because bunting is uh yeah you're you're a chicken shit or something. I don't know. It's very funny. <laughs> that's yeah. cool so then in terms of kind of uh like you've mentioned obviously you've kind of had like a covid project but has there been like anything else sort of that you've been worked on or is has kowloon kind of been the main focus for you otherwise uh except for the band that i i and the project that i've been working on over covid um kowloon's been it um you know prior to covid i spent a good like couple of months four six months writing a, a ton of stuff for uh less art which again maybe we'll get back mm. to at some point and then covid hits and uh i started a new band uh that's still just kind of you know getting off the ground um i like to keep busy and i like to play shows oftentimes on a cadence that is uh more rapid than when kowloon likes to play shows so, yeah, uh, I think I'm always going to be in multiple projects because mm. I, I just I really like keeping busy. Yeah. So what's the what's the sort of vibe of the, the COVID band that you've started? Like, what's the kind of sort of style that you've written with? that? Uh, I think what I was going for was um, I'm, I'm trying to do something that is, again, it's complicated, complicated music. But at the same time, it's got like the energy and kind of drive of like early Black Flag, like first four years oh, okay, Black cool. Flag, Dez era Black Flag. Um, yeah. Just something that like, yeah, there might be some weird guitars going on, but it's just kind of crushing you. Um, and it's, we have an album written. We're just trying to sort of finalize a bunch of things and uh, figure out who's going to be involved uh, in the band. That's yeah. cool. So when is there sort of a date that you think we might hear stuff or is it very just as and when kind of thing oh i would love to i've i've essentially been working on this project that i mentioned um since just before covid so i've kind of been kicking around these songs for like over two years now and mm. um and actually a little earlier than that and um i would like to get this done as soon as possible because i don't I, I also don't love sitting on on music if i think it's like getting close to being completed i think it's like get right. it done put it out into the world and then move on to the next thing and uh so i i would love to get this recorded even this year um and and then put it out early next year but there's just a lot of considerations that still need to get worked out that's fair enough so i think you saying sitting on things is kind of a good segue yeah. back to kowloon so Obviously, the new record is is out now, but was it a case of, of you guys were was because obviously I know like with COVID that kind of threw a spanner in everyone's works sort of thing, but we've we've seen bands that have literally written an album, recorded an album, released it like during COVID mm -hmm. times. But what was the situation with you guys? Like, was it kind of done and dusted prior to COVID, and then you had to wait or? Has it been sort of drip fed and now it's out? Like, how have you kind of worked with it? Well, so we started writing this album um, in like January, February of 2017. 
And, right. Okay. And oh, wow. we basically wrote the album uh, in about a year, year and a half. Um, there's a little, little break in there, but um, so we recorded the album uh, mid mid 2018, and mm. then when we recorded the album, there were zero lyrics, and uh, we just recorded all the music. The songs were done. Um, and we, uh, Scott and I, Scott in particular, since he's the vocalist, he writes in such a way that he doesn't need the vocals to be ready as we're writing. We write right. so that right. the vocals okay. can be put in. There are spaces in the songs where it makes sense to put vocals. So that said, he just had, uh, again, we re recorded the album in mid 2018. And then he had tremendous difficulty uh, writing the lyrics, coming up with the lyrics figuring out what he wanted to say, figuring out like, did he have anything to say? Um, and kind of, you know, he tied himself up a little bit, uh, you know, mm. and, and all of us, you know, we have, we have the lives going on at the same time. Um, you know, so you know, there's family considerations, there's deaths, you know, and so when you're in those moments, uh, sitting down and like trying to grind out lyrics doesn't seem like the important thing. Yeah, yeah. So as a result, we actually, everybody else in the band, we were like, no, it's fine. You know, it's fine. Take your time because it doesn't help us. And it doesn't help you for us to get on your case about like, she's mm. writing lyrics. It's like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Right. But it took him a while. And so we, um, he wrote a, he wrote a couple songs with the lyrics, uh, and then prior to, I think the summer prior to COVID, we did a, a European tour with Neurosis and we were able to play, uh, two songs that ultimately ended up on piecework. And then mm. the, the remaining five or six songs were written lyrically were written over COVID. Um, right, okay. certainly we have a lot of time, so he yeah. was able to come up with it. And so he, you know, again, record all the, the, um, record all the instruments, record all the songs in 2018, finish the vocals and record all the vocals in the past, like in the past six, eight months. Um, mm. And since Scott is the recording engineer, this is all very, he's got his own studio. This is all like a very doable thing for him. And um, mm. I gotta say, I'm so proud of him. Uh, he did a great job. And, you know, we recorded these out songs so long ago. I mean, who knew? we didn't know how this was gonna ultimately turn out but he's really mm. good at what he does. He's really good at sort of understanding where his vocals, his specific idiosyncratic vocals fit in this music. And, um, and I, think he, I think he did an exceptional job. I think it's the best he's sounded vocally um, in, for all the records we've done. And um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to everybody hearing the whole thing because it's, it's pretty, it's pretty mm. cool. And he wrote about some beautiful things and I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna be a meaningful album for people just because of the sort of the content of the lyrics. Mm. And because obviously you should say like musically recorded sort of 2018 and obviously we're now 2021. So it's three years sort of between. And obviously I don't know if you might not be able to speak about over this because obviously Scott was the one that wrote the lyrics, but for you, like having that big gap between it and then sort of like hearing what the song ended up with with Scott's lyrics on it did it kind of change your perception of of, of the songs at all entirely yes um because I as as we released two signals and um I, what piecework and oxygen tent and I don't know for folks listening to this if you go listen to those songs just 
listen to those songs and remove the vocals and they in your head, right? They're just very, they would be very different songs for you. And that's what they were like for us. I mean, they only existed without vocals and we always knew they were mm. going to be there, but like to, to then add that final layer onto it, it really does completely change your appreciation of the song. Um, because mm. all, all of a sudden, you know, Scott being a, a really, really good vocalist and understanding where to put his vocals and how to sort of make things sound parts that didn't maybe jump out at you. They now jump out at you because the vocals accentuated and before you had. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, my appreciation for the album now, I, I loved it when we did it uh, prior to the vocals, but now it's just so much better. It's so much better. And I love it that much more. Mm. And was there kind of a, uh sort of what part of you that was because obviously it's been such a, a long gap from when it was recorded was there part of you that thought like once scott had done the lyrics you were like oh we could have done this bit a little differently or or oh, i wish i changed that or were you kind of i don't know because obviously with it being such a, a gap of time like you might have like thought of how you recorded it differently or were you completely happy with how it sounded musically? I was pretty happy. Uh, I, I'd say that um, there were certain instances though where again, Scott being a recording engineer and the fact that we recorded this digitally versus recording it to tape where what I'm about to say would be mm. much harder. Um, we could make little adjustments in the arrangement to further right, okay. things. So maybe, maybe it makes sense to actually, once you've layered on the vocals, a part which went for another measure or two measures you can kind of consolidate that in a way that makes the song make a lot more sense. It tightens everything up. So there were only a couple instances where we could do that, um, but it, and it worked to our benefit. Uh, but I don't know when we when we finished recording the album, to a large extent, you know, we walked away from it just to give Scott the time and space that he needed. And so um, yeah. no real regrets or things that I think I would change in retrospect. Um, and the things that we did change a couple of things and it, it worked out to our benefit. Mm. And obviously you mentioned earlier, like the whole, initially the idea was to kind of do it right with the clean guitars and stuff. And like, you can kind of, when you listen to the record, you can kind of hear that that's, that element is still there a little bit, despite the fuzz and the, the heaviness yeah. that kind of comes through. But also, like you now, like you saying that you recorded it this time ago, but you'd purposely left space for where Scott could fit lyrics. It kind of now makes sense. So I don't know. Like, is that sort of something? Because obviously, the other thing that stands out is like. The, the spaces that you do leave in the songs like there's obviously there are there's that heaviness punch of it but there's also like reprieve and time to breathe yeah. so i don't know was that something that like you think has now been emphasized with scott's vocals edition and do you think that helped because you kind of went into it thinking this is going to be a softer album i think that um I think that the the spaces that we left are so much more impactful now with Scott's vocals because again, him having a really good head for his vocal placement, you know, there are areas where, you know, he is present in those spaces. His vocals are present in those spaces. And then there's other areas where mm. he knows to lay out because by doing so, it makes the spaces themselves impactful. Um, and 
again, he did a great job and his sort of understanding of when, when to be present in those spaces versus when the layout, I think is one of the real sort of like, it, uh, it, he's just really good at it. It's, it, and it's a big part of this band. Mm. And just to kind of bring it sort of right up to date, obviously like with the record coming out, we're sort of starting to see easings of, of lockdowns in various countries and, and things like this. But you've said with Kowloon, like you're very selective in in what you do. And I think like, obviously, from my perspective, being someone that will probably only see you once every maybe two years or however long it is that you guys come to Europe sort of thing, like it feels like a very special thing. And obviously, that's kind of the vibe you're going for. But obviously, now there's that miscellaneous year and a half of COVID. Is there a, a want to just sort of be like, we've got a new album, let's go out and see the world? Or are, are you trying to sort of still pick and choose where you do things at the moment? We're trying to pick and choose. Um, that said, where are you located right now? I'm in Bristol in, in Bristol. England. Uh, we played uh, the old England in Bristol. Uh, on the Yeah, well, yeah. And I just, I would play the places that we played in England, I would play them every six months if we could. It's, they're some of the best shows. <laughs> like, I really, really appreciate the audiences that we've had there. Um, that, that said, uh, we are, we're still being picky. Um, you know, we're being very conscious of COVID uh, because again, we're, we're, we're an Oakland-based, California-based band. And the, uh, the sort of COVID situation in California is very different than other parts of this country. And so, hmm. uh, and that impacts our decision-making to some extent, like, where are we going to go? Where do we feel comfortable going? You know, what crowd do we feel comfortable playing around based on sort of the kind of local what's going on with COVID there. And then we do want to, when we, when we go play shows, we want to do something that we find that we find special. Um, mm. And so, you know, we want to play with bands that like we're stoked to play with, you know, we want to play venues that we're excited to play. Um, and so those, that's still our, that's still our thinking process when it comes to figuring out where we're going to play shows. That's it. We are, we're going to play shows. We're going to play record shows. Yeah. We're going to do probably some limited touring this year and more extensive touring next year on this album. Um, and yeah, we're just really excited, uh, because some of the stuff that is, um, some of the stuff that's on the plate, some of the stuff that I think we're going to be able to do is pretty cool. You know, it's cool. It's different for us. Uh, we'll be able to play places in particular. I love playing new places, you know, being yeah. in bands to some extent is how you can kind of see the world and see places you yeah, to yeah. go to otherwise. And so that is one thing that we also look for, like, where haven't we played that would be stoked to have us and um, it, we'll go play there, you know, uh, versus mm. playing the same, you know, again, the same dive bar in Oakland or same dive bar in San Francisco, which are, can be great shows. We have fans here. We love it. Um, but when you've been doing the same places, playing the same places for 15 years, you want something a little different. Yeah. And because of like that selectiveness sort of thing, as I say, like over here, as you said, like you love playing here because of the, the, the sort of audiences you get, but obviously it, as I say, it has that kind of like special feel to it because it doesn't have like, if I take, this is no, no, like, slight on them, but if you take, like, a hardcore band, like, 
terror or knock loose or someone like that who are like just on that cycle constantly and then they're playing like the uk once a year and they're doing the same cities but maybe in a slightly bigger venue compared to like a band like yourself who were playing once in a blue moon it feels like a, a special occasion sort of thing so do you find that from like the fan reaction that like when you go to these like as you say like a new city or somewhere that your the reaction you're getting from the fans is like oh shit Kowloon are in town kind of thing yeah um that definitely happens uh when particularly when we are playing in new places and we are headlining um you know so mm. kind of a smaller club um and uh i think what i'm doing i think what i'm getting at is i'm pointing to a distinction of playing new places where you are opening for a much bigger band which is just a different vibe right you know yeah. in those instances uh even though those shows are incredible and i love doing them and love playing them but oftentimes um they're not there for you right yeah you know? yeah and yeah. so um I, I guess that's one uh, one sort of interesting distinction is that like what you're talking about and how it can be special. Um, the way that we feel that when we're on stage and we're playing tends to be in like the smaller places uh, we're headlining mm. when we're opening and it's incredible, but it's just, it's a different feel because those people, maybe they don't know you and they're feeling you out. Yeah, yeah. And that's a, that's a different vibe than someone who's like excited to be there and they maybe get to see you twice in their lifetime or something. I don't know. You know? Yeah. 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 That's cool. And as you mentioned earlier, like, obviously, again, the perception on paper is that you guys, even though you you are like constantly active, like you're not sort of like you're not road dogs and like you, you you're very meticulous in like what you put out and things like that. But because obviously, again, musically, the time frame from the last release to to Peaceworks, well, like last recording even was 2018. Have you started thinking about what the next release is going to look like? Or because obviously where Scott had the time to sort of take a, a back, no, not a back seat, but like take time with the lyrics with Peaceworks. If, is it now sort of like, right, we're going to let the dust settle a little bit and then go again? Or is the wheel always turning? The wheel's always turning. I mean, we've already discussed like, okay, what, what's the next album going to look like? Um, I've already written some stuff that like at, at a certain point, you know, we'll bring, I'll bring to everybody else. Um, we're already making decisions about, um, is, are there small things, small kind of rules, writing rules, arrangement rules that we could put in place that will um, make the music uh, a little bit different, you know, kind of turn us in a, in a slightly different direction, like we do with piecework and like we did with grievances before that. You know, we made decisions at the outset of the writing process and whether or not we succeeded in our goals, it kind of changed the trajectory of the music. Um, mm. We're already discussing what, what would those be? Um, and some, some weird conversations. Um, but the wheel's <laughs> always turning. Now that said, that doesn't mean that you're going to get an album for a new album from us again in another like five years. Um, just because it's going to take as long as it takes, you know, but yeah. it will, it's a process that we've already started because it, it, it always starts with the discussions, you know, and the discussions are happening. Now, when we start producing, then maybe a timeline will kind of magically appear. Uh, I mm. also don't think that, um, Scott, uh, Scott's trouble, uh, 
lyrically for this album, coming up with things that were meaningful to him and he thought were good and appropriate. I think he's figured it out. You know, I think he, kind of, right, I think okay. he figured out the way that he can write through that, that kind of block. And um, mm. I don't expect that uh, waiting two to three years on lyrics will happen again, which might, might yeah, make you yeah. get an album in four years instead of five. <laughs> Yeah. yeah and just in terms of like I, I think i probably know the answer to this question but just because obviously you guys have been like even before you were a band like collectively as i say it's roughly around sort of 15 years i think but because obviously part and parcel of that is like the meticulousness of you writing and sort of being methodical in like how you tour and how you put the structures of songs together that's probably added to you guys being a band for so long but i don't know do you think that there's other elements that have kind of added to to your longevity as a band or do you think just because you've kind of got this process that works and it's just a matter of we'll do it at our own pace that that pace has led to you being a band for 15 yeah, years yeah um I think that there are, there are creative considerations to how we've kind of grown as a band and sort of how, that, how now the process of writing works. And I think that's really important and that's contributed to our longevity. But I, I, a big part of it as well is that like, we all, again, we're all really fond of each other. We sort of interpersonally, we enjoy being around each other. We enjoy going on tour together and sitting in bands together, you know? Um, and that's something that's definitely developed as well. Uh, over the last, you know, since I've been in the band, uh, that's mm. been, and now with the addition of Dan um, on drums, uh, who I've known for, you know, 18 years or something, uh, it's it's kind of further kind of consolidated the, the personal stuff that holds us together and allows us to keep doing it. Um, you know, we're not, we're not crazy partiers, you know, we Oops, you know, I, I think I'm the only one in the band right now who, who drinks a little, you know, so as a result, like interpersonal stuff, like no, no one's blowing up anything, you know, and, we all get along. Yeah. and that's as important for the longevity of a band, uh, as far as I'm concerned, than, um, than the creative considerations, or at least making sure that you're not, you're not in a band with people you don't like, and you're just kind of putting up with them. That's not this band. Mm. And so that makes it you know, that makes it easy to keep going, but it also makes it fun, which I think is necessary. That's cool. And um, John, how I like to round things off is to ask my guests, like, what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. So, and because you're on the precipice of releasing a new album, you might not be able to answer this wholeheartedly, but we'll give it a go and see what, what the answer is. So what's your favourite Kowloon song that you like to play live and why? Ooh, um, that's a good question. Um, I'm gonna say right now, uh, we got to, I, I had mentioned that on the last Neurosis tour, we were able to play a couple of these new songs live. And yeah. so there is a song um, that hasn't been released as a single, it's called Splicing. Uh, I, whatever it's sort of fake name before we gave it its real name was something funny and I can't remember it. That, <laughs> that song was really, 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 really fun to play live um, because it has, it has kind of all the elements that I love in a, a song like that where there's just, there's a lot of space 
and it builds to something that I, I find to be cathartic when I'm playing it, which is pretty exciting. Um, so yeah, I would say that song. I want to throw one more thing out there because uh, since there was a whole sort of, you know, version of this band before I joined the band, my favorite song to play live mm. that I was not in the band for. And so I'm like playing it and it wasn't a song I wrote or contributed to in any way is uh, there's the, the, the song um, Gambling on the Richter Scale, uh, which is yeah. the, the album that they did before I joined, that song rules to play. People like, there's, <laughs> there's, there is definitely a quality of like playing that song and just watching people just kind of nod their heads so hard because of the groove is it's very fun. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, and just, I'm going to throw in my, my two cents because obviously by the time you're next over here, the record will be out and people will be loving it. But the song I'm most looking forward to hearing live is You Had a Plan. That's oh, that's great. Yeah, we, so, uh, that yeah. was a weird song for us. And uh, we, we took a lot of chances with that. And I'm really happy to hear you say that you like that song. That's really cool. That's all. Well, yeah, John, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. And yeah, hopefully we have you back over here at some point in the not too distant future. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to play over there again. And great talking to you, Tim. No worries. Take care. Take care. Bye. So there we have it, folks. Again, a huge thank you to John for taking some time out of his day and having a little chat with me. As always, you can keep up to date with what Kowloon Ward City are doing on all the various social media platforms, as well as Less Art. And hopefully we'll be hearing a new project from, from John in the not-too-distant future as well. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, as John does mention in the chat, both bands are not super active, but they're definitely ones to keep an eye out and check out. Um, from experience, if you do get the chance to see Kowloon Ward City, go and see them. They're fucking epic, as mentioned in the chat. Um, but yeah, all those details will be linked in the show notes. Um, yeah, as mentioned, we've got some cool guests coming up. Got something extra special lined up for the week of Halloween. Um, but yeah, for now, as always, whether this is the first time you're listening or the 210th time you're listening, thank you for some by the Justin Insight podcast, and I'll see you soon. Yeah.